I um, last night I was hanging out uh, with my best friend downtown. I was in a business downtown, and uh, the men of that business grew up here in town. They're black. They own that business, and there was a man sitting behind me in the chairs, and the men in the business asked me, and they said, uh, "Who who's your next interview?" Right for this podcast, and I said, "It was you." And the man behind me, who I never met in my life, said, "You were his fifth grade teacher at Stewart School, and that you were the best teacher he ever had." Let me tell you this, and yeah, and me. I can remember this incident, and I guess I will remember it all my life. Tell me. I had a child who was about six foot tall. He was a white child at Stewart School. My principal came to me and he said, I need to talk to you. And I said, okay. And he said, I know you're not going to like it. He said, because, but I was always fair with my supervisors, with everybody. Let's sit down and talk about things. Don't talk about me. Talk with me. And we can work things out if you don't like it. And if I don't like it, we can come to some agreement. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, well, Ms. Mueller said, this child has failed for two years. And he said, "Um, I've got some young teachers here. And he said, a lot of them seem to want to give children busy work give them a a worksheet, put them in the corner, and that's it. And I said, well, I said, that's not me. He said, I know that. He said, I think you do. And he said, I think the parents have learned in this community, which was in the Georgetown area, where all of the affluent white people Mm -hmm. lived at that time. They lived in the Georgetown area. Mm -hmm. The doctors, the lawyers, the big shots, what we used to call, just like it is, lived in that area. Well, I asked him, I said, why do you put the second child from a family in my room when I've already had one child? He said, he said, I'm not supposed to do it. He said, but the teach the parents ask for you. They want their children in your room. I said, why? He said, because they say you teach. They learn. And that's what they want for their children. When you need help, you don't really care whether that help is black or white. You just need it. And you do what you have to do to get it. It's one of those things that sort of transcends race. And that's what happened here. I can remember that Mike Sharp sent for me. Mike was having court in Athens. And he asked my daughter, will you please bring your mother to my courtroom? And she said, yes, I'll bring her. Well, I went, and I I just sat down in the back because with teaching, I had never had the experience of being in a courtroom and seeing how court operated. So I just wanted to see, and I sat down in the back. 
Well, when Judge Sharp came in and went to the platform in his robe and stood up, I guess he recognized me and saw me in the back. And he said, before I start my court this morning, he said, I got something that I want to do. He said, I see somebody in this courtroom that I'm very proud of. And he said, who has helped to make me who I am today? And he said, Ms. Miller, would you please come up front? I walked up front, and he just hugged me, and he said, God bless you. Thank you for helping me to get to where I am today. How'd that feel? It's a good feeling. Because that's what I want. I call all of my children and say, I run into bankers. It was not long ago I walked in the bank and this young man kept doing this. And I wondered, well, and he said, aren't you Mrs. Miller? And I said, yes. He said, you were my fifth grade teacher. About three weeks ago, I went to the doctor's office because I'm having some problems with my knees. And a young lady was there, and I thought I recognized this older lady. And uh, she was there, and her daughter said, she just did this and threw up. And she said, Mrs. Miller, I'm so glad to see you. You were my fifth grade teacher. Well, in court, when Judge Sharp brought me up front, the two attorneys that were having the case came up and when Judge Sharp said, may I hug you? And I said, sure. And we both just stood there with our arms around each other. And the other lawyer said, well, if you can get a hug, I think I ought to get a hug too because she was my fifth grade teacher. (laughs) And so I said, well, and then the judge who was representing the opposite of the first attorney, he looked up and he said, well, you two don't have anything on me. Miss Miller taught me in the fifth grade. That was some happy moment for me. Here is three attorneys, a judge, and they are recognizing me for their fifth grade teacher. What did I do? What have I done? for a minute for us to talk about how you felt integration of schools affected the area here when schools began to integrate? When schools began at the beginning of integration, there were four children who were sent to Stewart School with me. I had to stand out front here until all buses came to load all the children that were going to mm-hmm. College Hill, right. assembled here for buses, mm-hmm. to be bused to their individual schools. I stood out there, and those four children gathered around me, and I thought of it as hen and chicks. <laughs> I've got four chicks here. <laughs> and they said, Miss Miller, we are afraid. 
can we ride with you? And the superintendent had already told me that I could not, because of insurance, that their parents would have to take them to the schools. And I said, no, I've got to wait until every child is bussed away from this area. And I will meet you at Stewart School. When I met them and their parents at Stewart School, it was a terrible feeling when four little children tell you that I'm afraid. Why do you think they were so afraid? It's the first time they'd ever done anything like this. They didn't know what they were going to. And you know what I said back to them? Tell me. I'm afraid too. But I said, we've got grit. <laughs> we've got, and I said, we're going into this thing together. We've got grit. I love that. As we've been producing this podcast, I think that saying might actually apply to everyone I've interviewed so far. We might as well call this podcast, We've Got Grit. How'd the white community handle it? Well, I had a wonderful principal, Charles Kiker. When I went in, he asked the children, the four children, to go to the library and have a seat. And he said, I want to talk to your teacher. He asked me to come into his office. He said, Ms. Miller said, I've worked with you as principal when we would have principal's meetings. But of course, I was the only black (laughs) in there. But it didn't make any difference to me because I had the superintendent to tell me at one time that I had a principal who said he couldn't talk to me. And I said, why? He said, because he says, you look at him. I said, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? Just like I'm looking at you, I said, am I supposed to take my head and duck it between my tail? (laughs) I said, that's not me. That's not me. And um, so um, when he called me in to talk to me, he said, these children don't know me. He said... And I'm sure they are afraid. Mm -hmm. But he said, I have worked with you for a good while, a long time, from College Hill. Mm -hmm. And he says, we've had principals meetings and things together. And he says, I know you. Mm -hmm. He said, I'm no longer these children's principal. Mm -hmm. He said, you are. Mm -hmm. And he said, when I put these children into a class, he said... You are going to be responsible Mm -hmm. for them. They are going to be responsible for coming to you and telling you if anything goes right or wrong. Because he said they feel close to you. Mm -hmm. And they did. Every day they would come and I'd say, how's things going? And they'd say, Miss Miller, we like it, but we like coming to you because you tell us what's right and you tell us what what's wrong. And we get we are getting along fine and we are adjusting fine. That made me feel good that these four children are adjusting. Tell me, this school burnt twice, right? 
Did College Hill burn down two times? It, I thought it burned down three, but for sure two, right? It, 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 it may have, but I only... You were not, only here the one I time. was only here for the last, because, you see, I lived in Charleston. Right. And I wasn't here. It could have burned. I, I know it burned twice. Mm -hmm. I think it may have burned three times. Mm -hmm. um, I'm trying to I'm trying to ask the questions that are really on my heart to ask. If I can answer them, I will. I know that. That's why I want to ask the right ones. Does that make sense? Because there's so much, I think, for me, right? So for me, as a 45-year-old white man who never drove past the schools to go to the school that I had to go to or, you know, went to a church that was just all white because it had to be all white, Nobody ever burned my school down, you know. Actually, you know what? That's not true. That's funny I said that. I was, I was in Ellis Hall at Lee University. Somebody did burn my school down. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Um, but not for the reasons maybe that people thought this school got burnt down, right? I feel like you've seen so much. You have such a positive... Uh, energy about you, about remembering each student and their situation and the community and just a I'm going to use the word like relentless pursuit of education for yourself and then for all the students here, right? Not just at College Hill, but everywhere that you taught, that you remember their names, you remember where you were, you remember how, when you look at the school systems now, when you look at things in the way that they are, that they are now, one of the things that, that the vice mayor was telling me that he, he thinks about a lot, you know, is that we have kids here, in particular black kids, that grow up here and they're educated and they get a good education but then they leave here right and they leave here because even today they find it hard to get a job or you know so true something like something like that what in, in your mind having lived the life that you've lived and, and the difference, for instance, between Charleston and Cleveland. When you said, you know, Charleston had this feel almost like, I, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, I, I'm trying to ask questions. Almost as if outside of church and school, segregation didn't even exist That's in so Charleston. That's so true. And then here you have your daughter's nodding right across the way from us right now. And, you know, Tony and Olympia are here and Tanae is here. 
But here, it's like we have this black part of town. I, I don't know if I'm saying it right. I, I don't always say it right, Miss Miller, but I try so hard. It's like I've only ever been places where I was welcome. And I'm welcome in the black part of town. And I'm welcome in the white part of town, right? So for me, everywhere I've ever been was sort of like Charleston. And there were certainly places, you know, my first college was in Gary, Indiana, which was predominantly black. And I never felt out of place there. I, I, there was a, or I never felt unwelcome. I might have felt out of place because I was white and I didn't see any other white people. But I didn't feel unwelcome, right? Here in East Cleveland, it feels like this, it doesn't feel to me even now, and I don't know how this ends up in the podcast or it doesn't. I don't, we're going to listen to so many hours of all this before it's said and done. And I, but the idea that there's like a black part of town seems so ridiculous. What do we even mean when we say the black part of town? I don't really know, not all the time anyway. Maybe the black part of your town looks different than the black part of this town. But I know here, the black part of town is the part of town you would never even know is black. Because it's the part of town you would never even drive through. Because there's nothing there. There's no reason to drive to the black part of town here unless you're black. And I think that's a real problem. Are you enjoying listening to College Hill? We sure hope so. And if you are, we'd love you to know that this was made possible through the generous donations of the United Way of the Ekoi region. The United Way does so many things in the community. From helping people with poverty to education, the United Way is focused on every community that they're in, and that is especially true of the United Way of the Ekoi region. Once again, here's College Hill. To me... As a white man, that makes sense, right? It's like, because I can go anywhere I want or do anything that I want. But what do you think as somebody who has, like, worked here and then worked there and rode trains to get to where you needed to go and anything you needed to do, when you look at Cleveland and you think black kids are growing up here, they go to school they leave and they go to college, right? We know that they are, right? They're doing like you did. They're going after education, but then they don't come back here. Why? I feel like that Cleveland doesn't offer enough. Or I, I'm, I'm like you. I, re, I don't know. I don't have the answers. I don't know why, but they do. They go elsewhere because they say that they can't get to, um, positions here that they're qualified for. They go other places. They are hired right on the snap, just like I go back and tell you about my uncle. Mm -hmm. He went and was president of Sears Watchmaking in Cleveland, Ohio. Right. He went on from there to West Virginia State, got his Ph.D., finished Fisk University, 
but he couldn't get a job here. Right, he can be a he, he, he could be he could be a an ambassador to a whole another country, right? But he couldn't right. get a job here. Right, he was ambassador or consul to Haiti. Mm. He was head of the history department at Texas Southern University. So he was he became a minister and was minister of the CME Metropolitan Church in Houston, Texas. Mm-hmm. But he couldn't get a job here in Cleveland. So And I know of lots right. of many people who were here, not only my uncle, but that was family. Yeah. So I remember that. I yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, you know, that's your story and your family, but we know that it's uh, it's all it's a lot of stories, right? When right. Vice Vice Mayor was telling me, you know, when he was growing up here, there was one black man, and he knew his name that had the good job at the railroad. So, like, there was one one guy who had a good job here in town, and the second best thing was to be a golf caddy. You know. So I think what I'm trying to get at. Is and I know you said you don't have the answers that you'll answer what you can. So maybe I'm asking more for your feelings or for your thoughts because I don't want you to feel like I'm pressuring you for an answer. You've you've told me so much already. You've really truly blessed me to sit with you to hear you. Your story of alone. Let me say that your story alone of just a relentless pursuit of education in America minus race of any sort would be phenomenal. But the fact that you're doing it in the South as a black woman, even more phenomenal. I, if we have people here who say, well, we can't hire black people for these positions because they're not here. And then we have black people who say, well, I'm not coming here because I can't get a position. I'm 45 year old white man. You're a 92, 92 year old black woman. Can we, can we, can we do something about it? I would like to think that we could, but I would like to know where do we start? Where do we begin? That all of these people who have tried and it's failed, it hasn't happened. What do we do? Does it make you mad? What, what, what direction can we go? Because I'm willing. I want just like I am proud of every student that I've ever had, whatever race, ethnic, color, Mm-hmm. I'm proud of them. I, Everybody. I saw in the paper, I think it was night before last, and I just sat and cried. It made me feel so good that Jesse Davis, who I know works so hard with children both in this area, that she was recognized as Mama Jesse in this neighborhood with a stone in this playground. I remember Mm Jesse. Jesse 
was supportive of everything that I did. She was right here to call every basketball game. That made me feel good. Well, hey, did she have to die to get recognition? Give me my flowers while I live. Amen. Don't wait until I'm dead. And that's what, that's, that's what brought the tears to my eyes when I saw that, hey, Jessie is being recognized. She's not here to see it. Mm-hmm. But I was proud to see that picture in the paper because I don't know anybody, anybody that I don't love. And that's the key. We've got to learn to love one another. We've got to learn to work with one another. That I'm no better than you. You're no better than me. Mm-hmm. But in order to work together, we got to come to some understanding and say, let's get together. Yeah. Let's do this thing. It's not about me. It's not about you, but it ought to be about us. Mm-hmm. Us. Mm-hmm. Let us do this. Yeah. I don't know what, what tell me what you think. What I'm not as we smart start? as you. I'm not even close to as smart as you. What do what? I love you? I what? love you. I promise. I'm for us. I love you. I think you love me. I'm for you. You're for I, me. I, I, You're way smarter than I am. But I don't know where to start. Yeah, I don't either. I'm so frustrated. I, I get frustrated too because when I look back and I see a, a lot of things and I read the papers, I said, "Oh Lord, here we go again." Yeah. Nothing is happening. Nothing is happening, but it looks like it's a one-sided thing when I pick up the paper and read something. It's not equal. It's always about one side. The white side, it's not, right? Is that it's what you're not, saying? It's not about... Well, to me, it seems that way when I pick up the banner. <laughs> yeah, it's fair, it's fair for you to say. I'm saying... You, you know, I asked, I asked the vice mayor, I said, tell me something that you'd be afraid I wouldn't want to hear, right? Mm-hmm. I, I said to him, like, tell me something well, that you, tra- you would I'm maybe transpar- not want to say. I'm thing. transparent. There doesn't seem to be a lot you don't say. Well, it, I, because I'm transparent. <laughs> <laughs> but when you say, when you say one side, what, one thing, so one of the things you're saying, one of the ways, or, or, or what can we do? It's even like that. You feel like, so if that was opposite, if that was opposite, I would have no problem saying when I pick up this newspaper, it seems like it's only talking about black people. Right, right. But you almost have to say or have grown up in a world where you had to say the other side. Does that, am I making sense? It's like hard, or, or maybe you're just that gracious that you don't want to just say, when I look at this completely white-run newspaper with white journalists covering stuff in the white part of town, I read a lot of white stuff. But, like, as a white man, I say that. I say it that way. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think you're right. I think, can, can, I, can I say this? 
you were talking about the only place that you saw segregation was in our institutions. And like, I think if we're going to change things, right, I'm for you and you're for me and you love me and I love you and you loved every white student that you ever had and your white students love you. Then I think like the thing we have to do is start to look at the places where segregation still exists. And if it still exists, well, then it's got to go. But, you know, everybody just won't be honest. Everybody just, they will. Let me say this. Yeah. You got to walk the talk yeah. and talk the walk. Mm -hmm. You don't talk one way and live another way. Mm -hmm. You got to live what you preach. Mm -hmm. I say children learn what they live. They live what they learn. Mm -hmm. So don't talk to me one way and then I see you tomorrow and it's another way. You know, it's not about me. Don't make me feel good and mistreat my brother mm -hmm. or mistreat my sister. Mm -hmm. I, that's not me. You can be ever so respectful to me and make me feel like I'm on top of the world. But if you're going to mistreat my child, mm -hmm. or you're going to mistreat my sister, yeah, for real. I, or I, my I, brother, yeah, yeah. and you're not going to recognize them, you have mistreated me also. That's I, just the way I yeah, feel. It feels so don't make a difference in me right. and somebody else, because I, I don't want that. Because yeah. if you mistreat me, and mis the next time, if I'm with my sister or my brother, then you will mistreat me too just because that I'm with that person. Mm -hmm. And hey, that's and say I'm just transparent. I I try to live what I preach. You know, this is a really hard one. It's hard to think through all the complex feelings that I have here. This idea that, you know, the system can fail or that we, we can try over and over and over again and it can fail. One of the things that I feel like has consistently come up in all of the interviews is this idea of how do we break a cycle of black kids who grow up in town and then leave and don't come back because they don't believe they have a future here. How do we stop that? It's, it's not just about how do we address the issue of racism, but we need to address the issue of how racism has affected the cycle of our town. Yeah. Seems like we're in this weird place, not just in Cleveland, but in America, where so many people are okay with not being racist as a on a personal level, but are seem stuck in how we change the institutions. Uh, you know, um I I have no problem. Uh, you let me say I'm not I'm not the most enlightened person. In fact, that's why I'm here. I, I am I grew up in the north. My town was almost 50/50. My church was 75/25 black and, and I went to a school that was 50/50 and I everybody that worked at the mill where my dad worked, you know, was black, Hispanic, and white, and, and stuff like that. But I'm not some enlightened 
person. I, I'm, I'm just learning every day. I'm learning more and more and more about all this every day. But it is amazing to me how many white people are 100% would, 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 would fight, argue to say that racism is wrong and would say, no, I love people. But, but refuse to think that there are systems that are so stacked in their favor that it's at the expense of other people. Like that we could, that we could get into this loop where we would lose like our best talent. Not, I'm not even just saying our best black talent. I'm just saying if you're smart and you're educated and you're clever and you care about this town, but you can't get a job here, that's a real problem. And I don't know how we get beyond the personal, right? Because you have all these people in town who 100%, and, I, I'm, and let me say, let me say, and we, from my, my limited experience in this town, genuinely, right? Genuinely care. But have no concept that things are not fair. You know what I mean? <laughs> In my youthful days of teaching, I gave my best to this community. I did. I worked hard to help get that museum center over there on Inman Street. Yeah. I was on the board of directors. But I'm nobody now. I helped raise money on that board. When it was not even a parcel of ground to put a museum on. They didn't know where they were going to put it. They didn't even know that they was going to get a museum. I worked hard. I worked hard on several boards here in Cleveland. But my time is up now. I'm nobody. How do you think that makes me feel? But I go on and I said, I don't have to be nobody in the sight of a man, but I sure am somebody in the sight of the good Lord. I'm working now for that eternal city, not Cleveland, because I have given my life. I've worked hard but when you can't work any longer and give and do, you're finished. You're through. Now answer that for me. Not only on that board, but you say I've worked on many boards, I guess because of who they thought I was. I don't know. But I was always getting a call, will you work on this board? Will you work here? 
Well, you, and I've always given my service and yeah. given it freely. Yeah. Freely. Well, I think it's because, right, the way that, the way boards always work, right? You're on them because you either have influence or money or both. Well, I didn't have any influence, and I certainly didn't have any money. I'll tell you this, man. I don't know what it was. I'm going to tell you something. <laughs> I don't know a lot, Miss Miller. I do not know a lot, but I definitely know when I'm sitting across from a very influential person. You have had a massive, massive impact on this city, and that you will continue to have an impact. You think, maybe you don't think this, but... Maybe it feels like it's hugs from judges, but that's a man on a bench making decisions. That's not his hug to you, right? But I, not only from Judge Sharp, I could walk out of here right now. I give hugs back. I believe you do. I give them back to anybody that I see. We've been having Holy Week this week at my yes. church. Yes, ma'am. And I've seen quite a few. And everybody that I see, oh, Miss Miller, you're looking so good. Come on, give me a hug, honey. Come on. I love people. I'm a people person. It doesn't make any difference to me who you are. I just love people. Yes, I've got plenty of hugs to give out. And they say, I guess I could walk out of here maybe and see one of the biggest drunks in this town. Mm-hmm. And he'd say... Or she would say, Miss Miller, I love you. I can remember my son coming home one night. My son was a highway patrolman until he retired. And he came home and he said, Mother said, I almost had to break up a fight tonight. I said, a fight? What about? He said, yeah. Said somebody said, I had to calm this woman down. And I said, for what? He said, somebody had said something negative about you and she was ready to fight. <laughs> said she said you don't talk about Miss Miller not in front of me like that and he said oh forget it that's alright my mother isn't even paying attention to that but he said this woman just literally that he had to say honey you need to go on home just forget it because mother isn't even thinking well. about that but I'm sure that you know somebody is there <laughs> Somebody always gonna say something negative about you. Yeah. But I still love them too. Uh-huh. It doesn't make any difference to me. Yeah. Because, you know, it takes maybe a lot of honey to catch a bee, but I can catch them with love. Uh-huh. And I bet you the person who you think nothing of in this in this town would say because I have been taught and I was taught from an early age that everybody is somebody. Everybody is somebody. Treat them like they're somebody. They may not think they're somebody but you might love them that they can become somebody. And that's my motive is to love you to make you think, because sometimes people just need a good word. Yeah. They just need to, uh, to, for somebody to say, I care about you. Yeah. You can do this. 
I know you can. And they may not think that they can do a thing, but you can love them so to the extent and make them think the next thing you know, they're just picking up and doing everything. And that makes me feel good. Well, hey, if I can help somebody, that's my job. Yeah. That's my job. Well, thank you for doing this today. Let me say this. I will probably never start a board of directors. But if I do, you're my first call. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you for being here for us. I could have talked to Helen Miller for hours and hours more. I hope that I get to one day. But that's it for now. Next episode, we head back into the College Hill area, but not to the rec center. This time, we're headed to the church.